His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who forever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. We continue in our series in Second Peter, second letter of Peter, and this is the Apostle's final encouragement to his readers. As we read at the end of our passage, verses 12 through 15, he is about to be put to death. The Lord has revealed to him that his end is near, and so he wants to write something that he thinks is the most important for his readers to hear, for Christians to know, and that is that we must keep growing. We must keep progressing in our Christian walk, in our spiritual life. He uses words like, make every effort, or be all the more diligent. These are action words. He wants us to really commit to grow and to pursue Christ. And and notice that this comes to those that are already Christians. He's talking to those who are established in the truth. Uh, We see the same dynamic here in this passage that we introduced last week. We already have God's grace and God's peace through Christ, through His righteousness, and yet the same grace and peace ought to be multiplied in our lives. We've already been given Christ's righteousness, and yet we are to grow as Christians. We're not to be complacent on the one hand, but we're not to be anxious either. We're to grow based on what God has done, and yet we are to expect Him to do more in our lives. Now, if you remember the illustration from last week, uh, we are to arrange the various parts of our life as books between the two bookends the righteousness of Christ on the one side and the power of the Holy Spirit on the other. Another way to explain it is to say that what God has done for us, He wants to do in us. 
What he has done for us, he wants to do in us. Paul, another apostle, puts it this way in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a command. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So commit to growth. Grow, and yet you trust that it's the Lord that's doing it. It is based on what he's already done for you. So we see in our passage today a clear call to make every effort to change, and yet also assurance that this change is the outworking of God's grace already present in our lives. Biblically, effort is not inconsistent with grace. That's a human dichotomy. Grace actually produces effort. It motivates effort. It shapes our effort. And as we resolve to continue to grow in response to Peter's words and hopefully my words as well, We won't do so in order to gain something from God or be loved by Him or be accepted by Him. In fact, we will do so because we are loved and we are accepted by Him already in Christ. And actually, this order, do I grow so that God would love me or do I grow because God loves me? The way you land on this issue determines whether you really understand the gospel in Christianity or not. Now, in the Bible, the pattern is very clear. God does something for us, and then he does something in us. You remember Israel left Egypt. They were rescued. No miraculous thing, rescued, covered by the blood of the lamb on the doorway and rescued out of, out of the oppression of Egypt, taken out. Nothing they did, right? They were taken out. Many of them didn't want to go. They got taken out delivered, rescued from a bad situation. And only later, when they're out of Egypt, they're given the law. They're given instruction of how to live as God's people. They're already God's people. God has already claimed them. And now God is going to teach them how to live, how to live out that identity. And the same is true of us as Christians. We're delivered from our sin. We're welcomed into God's family. And then we're given instructions. We're commanded to live worthy of who we already are. So that's how you can bring those two ideas together. Righteousness of Christ, everything we need is given to us, and then the Holy Spirit is working it out in our lives on that basis. So how do you understand Christianity? One way to put it, one way to to see if you understand the gospel is whether you think Christianity is about God's promises or your promises. There are plenty of people who promise to God. They're saying, I will do better. I will grow. I will change. And maybe then you can love me. That's not Christianity. That could be any number of religions. It could be any number of non-religious approaches to life. Christianity is based on God's promises. I will trust what He has promised to me. I will live in accordance to that. I will change and I will grow in accordance to His Word and His promises. The question is, am I doing something for God or is He doing something for me? Am I trusting in what He has done for me and what He promises to do for me? Or is it, is my trust in what I have done for God and what I promise to do for Him? Now look at verse 4 in our passage. He has granted to us His precious and very great promises 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you see the order? He has done something. He has granted to us His promises so that the promises are followed by our response. They're followed by our becoming partakers of the divine nature. God gave His promises so that through them we may be like Him. The Christian life is living according to God's promises. Okay, that's my lengthy introduction. The points will be shorter, okay? I want to point four promises that Peter tells us about. There's four precious and very great promises in our text that will help us grow, that will motivate and shape how you grow as a Christian. So let's look at them in order. We'll kind of work through the text. Number one, the first promise is you have all you need. You have all you need. You already have everything you need to grow. Whatever God calls you to become, He's already provided for you all the resources you need to do that. Now look at verses 3 and 4. His divine power, this is God's divine power, has granted to us all things, now read it carefully, all things, not some things, but all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. By His own power, God freely, graciously, sovereignly gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Life is eternal life, life with God, the this, this spiritual reality that He gives you that allows you to be connected to Him, to live with Him, to love Him, to benefit from Him. That's life. So He gave you everything for that. Then He gives you everything for godliness, which means your life before God, a manner of life that's pleasing to Him. So He's not only given you everything to connect you to Him, but also to keep you connected, to allow you to live out that connection in life. We have all the resources to be with God and to live in devotion to Him. Now, this is what Scripture says. That's a promise. The promise is you have everything you need to grow. If I go home and I look in my refrigerator and I find heavy cream, butter, grayer cheese, Parmesan cheese, and then I go to my pantry and I look and find potatoes and garlic, and then I look down in the spice drawer and I find salt and pepper and nutmeg, and then I look in my cupboards and I find a mandolin slicer and a casserole dish. Friends, I'm making potatoes a gratin. <laughs> like I always say, if you can gratin, why mash? So if you have all the ingredients then you make it. If I have everything I need for the dish, I will make that dish. If you look what God has done for you, if you simply reflect on what He has provided for you, you will grow and, and change and become like Him. So start cooking. You have all the ingredients, you have all the tools, you have everything you need to grow as a Christian, to be like Him. 
Now, what's the dish? What is the dish that he wants us to make with all the ingredients that he's given us? He wants us to become nothing less than partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> I mean, you read stuff like this, and you think, what else can God give us? You know, he's not stopping short of anything. He's saying, I want you to become partakers of the divine nature, and I've given you everything you need to be that. He wants us to be like him. This is not superficial likeness. No, this is to be like him in character, in, in very nature. He called us to his own glory and excellence. So he wants us to be like him in his glory and excellence. Notice that by his grace, we have escaped the corruption that is in the wor world because of sinful desire. We've been saved from that. We've been saved from the decay and death caused by sin. I, I, I've appreciated this word corruption more in recent weeks for some reason. It's, it's allowed me to understand the world and our life better. It just, it's just a great way to describe the experience of life without God. It's corruption, it's decay, it's deterioration by sin because sin is active and it's working itself out in all kinds of different ways. So God saves us from that, from the decay and death caused by sin, but then he saves us to the life and growth caused by his spirit. So out of that, but then into a different life, into a life where we are reflecting him, we're becoming more like him by his Holy Spirit which is, by the way, one of his great provisions. We have all we need to grow because we have the Holy Spirit in us, the very nature of God in us, making us different. Now think about it this way. When a child is adopted into a family, she's given all the resources of the family. She's been saved from perhaps a very difficult, loveless, neglectful situation and then placed into a new life, a new family, a new home that is caring and loving their parents and siblings. Once part of that new family, the child will begin to act and look like the rest of the family. That's natural. She might start doing her hair the way her mom does her hair. She might start dressing like her sisters. But the main transformation that happens is on the inside as her character now begins to reflect the values and priorities of her new family. It's not a superficial transformation. It's, it's deep. The child begins to agree with what the parents and the siblings think is important. And she begins to act like the rest of the family. Now, this is what God wants. And this is what he supplies all the necessary resources for. Now, this is an amazing promise. God calls us to become like Him. And He promises everything we need for this change. Are you growing? If you're not growing, it's not because you lack something from God. As if He's withheld something from you. Now, He's telling you to grow, but He's not giving you the resources. No, He is giving you everything you need. He's promising that you will have everything you need to grow. If you're not growing, it's not because you lack something from God. Now think about it. Let me extend the metaphor of adoption a little bit. 
Let's say this little girl comes into a new home, a new family. She's given a room and a bed and a closet full of clothes and allowance every week and food. Everything is abundant. But she is hesitant to embrace it. And so she only wears one outfit. She only eats just enough and leaves the rest on her plate. She stores her food, extra food in her room, fearful that maybe she won't have enough the next day. She doesn't spend her allowance, but saves it. And so finally, her mom comes and says, why, why are you living like that? And the girl says, well, this, this is what I'm used to. This is what I've done all my life. And the mother would say, well, you need to live now like you are part of this family and not part of where you came from. You need to change your mindset and now spend money like you're part of this family. Eat like you are part of this family. Wear the clothing that we give you like you are part of this family. And to put it in the spiritual context, we need to live like we belong to Christ and not to Adam. Many of us are still spending like we are poor in Adam and not like we are rich in Christ. You have a whole different allowance from Christ. You have a whole different wardrobe and you have a whole different feast for you. Everything is different in Christ. The question is, are we going to live like that? Are we going to make use of the resources that he gives us? Are we going to live like spiritually wealthy people in Christ? or spiritually poor people in Adam. That's the first promise. You have all you need. The second promise is that you will get more as you go. You will get more as you go. Along the way, as you grow, you will discover more things that God will supply, and you will make progress. The promise here is that you will make progress as you grow. Verses 5, 6, and 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Because God has provided everything we need, we are now encouraged to make every effort to make spiritual progress. Please don't, make the com- don't miss the command here. The command is to make every effort to grow. Passivity is not the right response to grace. Instead, we actively engage with the Spirit, we determine to grow, and then we experience progress. Now, let me just quickly explain this list of virtues. And this is a worthy text to meditate on and Maybe I'll put it on Realm and break it up so we can do that during the week. But this is one of those passages where you can take every word and you can take every line and you can meditate and see what the Lord may do in your heart through it, through, through meditating on these promises. But let me point out first that in this list of virtues, the first one is faith and the last one is love. The foundation of our spiritual development is our faith in Christ in what He's done for us, in His promises, in His grace. It begins with faith. 
But the goal of our spiritual development is love, love of God, love of others. Now, there are lots of lists of virtues in Peter's world and in our world too. There's lots of lists that we make. We say, these are good things to pursue. And there's a lot of overlap. You know, the image of God in us tends to gravitate towards similar things. But what Peter does here is he's not just using a pagan secular list and says, well, that's also good for us. The way he writes it is he makes it distinctly Christian because he begins with faith and he ends with love. So for a Christian, if you're not basing your growth on faith and if you're not pursuing love as the highest virtue, you're not growing as a Christian. Now, you may be improving in different ways, but you're not growing as a Christian. The distinctly Christian approach to change and growth begins with faith. That's the foundation. That's what we've been talking about. God has done something for you and you believe it. God has said something to you and you believe it. And then you base your life on that. But the goal is not really more faith. That's a, that's a goal that's, that's, that's going to come and go. The goal is more love. Because after all that's, that's done, right? All, all that's said and done, there is no more faith necessary. There is no more hope necessary. But love will remain. And so love becomes this crowning virtue, this, this final virtue on this list, because that is what we're striving for. Now let's look very quickly at the qualities on this list. Virtue is next. And virtue could easily be translated excellence. In fact, that's the same word that we see referring to Christ's excellence in verse 3. You already see how what God wants is reflective of Him. He's saying, you're going to be like me. You're going to partake in my divine nature. And so Christ is excellent. There's moral excellence in Christ. So we are called to be morally excellent. We're called to be good as Christ is good. So if you look at the moral excellence of Jesus' character, all the various virtues coming together, just who he is, what he's like, that's what we are to imitate. Now the opposite of virtue or excellence is really not being fully human. That's the, that's the opposite. So we pursue our full humanity in Christ, seeing what a human being actually is supposed to be like, how good we're supposed to be, how morally excellent we're supposed to be. He's our example. The second or the following after virtue is knowledge. Knowledge here is understanding. It's practical wisdom. It's discernment. As you live your virtuous life, as you pursue moral excellence, you will need to know how to make choices. Some things are going to be difficult. Some areas are gray and require discernment and wisdom. It's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's, it's ability to live well. That's knowledge. Next is self-control. Self-control is not hard to explain, is it? You just control yourself. That's, that's what it is. It's kind of self-explanatory. If we are to live a good life, pursue moral excellence, wisely discerning which choices are best, we better submit our desires to the Holy Spirit and embrace self-discipline. There's no other way. The opposite of self-control is being dominated by the flesh. Your choice is being determined by impulses. Remember that Christ saved us from the corruption of the world caused by sinful desire, caused by sin. 
because we've escaped that corruption, we don't want to go back to that, and we don't have to. Next is steadfastness or perseverance or endurance, patience, grit, especially in the face of suffering and evil. Now, if you're living a morally excellent life, you're striving for that, you're using God's wisdom to help you make choices and determine what's right and what's wrong, sometimes in very difficult circumstances. And you are not given into your desires, but you're actually following the Holy Spirit. Well, then the goal is to persevere, to keep going. And as you fail, to get up and do it again, to endure. If you sin, to repent and turn again to Christ. You don't stop growing, even if you get discouraged. You keep growing. Next is godliness. Godliness is devotion, proper reverence to God and respect to others. We can translate it as piety. The idea is that we are living before the face of God. Coram Deo, we're living before the face of God in the fear of the Lord. Your whole life is before Him. Because spiritual growth, developing these qualities is impossible apart from God Himself, apart from seeing Him in your life, walking with Him, living in His world. Next is brotherly affection. That's love for others, family affection for others, treating others as, I was going to say as your relatives, but I'm not sure how you treat your relatives, <laughs> but, but treating others well as if they belong to the same household, to the same family. Now, what's the opposite of this virtue? It's, it's indifference. It's individualism. It's making decisions that only are good for yourself, not considering the needs of others, not seeing yourself as part of a community, part of a group, but seeing yourself as a separate individual. That's not the New Testament way. If we grow, we will become more caring, more considerate, more sensitive, more compassionate, because that is part of God's nature. If we reflect His divine nature, we become partakers in who He is. Well, this is who He is. He cares about others. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's loving. And so we reflect Him in our relationships as well. And of course, we end with love, the crowning virtue that encompasses all the rest. And as you look at this list, and, and, and I encourage you to meditate on that and see the connections, I think the point is that it's not so much that we have to figure out how this virtue leads to the next, or if I get this done, then I can move to the next thing. They have to come in turns. I think the point here is that we need to keep adding, keep growing, keep pursuing Christ-like character, keep developing, keep supplementing, keep adding one virtue to the next, not being content with just working on one. But keep thinking, how do I grow? What is my next step? How am I progressing in my Christian life? And the promise is that we will grow. If you commit to spiritual growth, because you already have all the resources, you will grow. You will make progress. If you look at D.L. Moody's Bible, D.L. Moody was a famous 19th century evangelist, founded Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church in Chicago, you will find in his Bible, in the margins of his Bible, letters T and P. He would mark next to certain verses T and P. T stands for tried, and P stands for proved. As he would read a verse, 
and apply the verse, as he would read a promise and apply a promise, then he would mark it. Tried and proved. Meaning, that worked, right? In my life, this is real, that this promise holds true in my life. Now, this is the kind of practice, the kind of practical experiential knowledge of his promises that we need to have. And there's, there's simplicity there. There's the blessed simplicity of just trust in him. And if he says something, I'm just going to live like it's true, and then it's proven to be true in my life. As we progress in our Christian walk, we find that God keeps providing, that he keeps giving us what we need, specifically to develop wisdom or maybe self-control or maybe brotherly affection. Whenever you, whatever you're dealing with, whatever virtue is lacking, he will give you at that time what you need to develop that. Yes, all the resources are available to you. But as you progress, more things come. More promises get applied. And you learn that God means what he says. And it actually works. If you try it, it will be proven to be true. Well, I haven't given you an update on what weapons Ukraine has received or what weapons Ukraine needs in a while. Uh, Gil Piles encouraged me to do that every Sunday if I could, so, so I, will, I will do that. The, the way the war in Ukraine has developed is interesting based on the kind of weapons that were supplied and used at different parts of the war. It all started with people being very excited about Javelin anti-tank uh, uh, missiles or rockets. And that was very important then. And then air defense became really important. And so different systems were brought in and set up. And then HIMARS uh, multi-rocket launchers were really important. So, so Ukrainians can hit Russians and push them back. All those things happened in time. Certain things came when they're supposed to come and change the course of the war. Well, we're waiting on tanks now, is the next step. And the, and the importance of tanks is that now it allows the Ukrainian military to advance, to go on the offensive. Now, they couldn't do that at first, but now they can, and now specific weapons are needed. They need Leopard tanks from Germany. I'll be very specific. And they need Challenger tanks from Britain. That's what's needed because now there is a next stage of the conflict, and new different resources are needed to progress, to keep growing in that victory. Now, it's the same in the Christian walk. The Lord is not going to give you tanks to begin with because you don't need them. But there will be a time, and some of us right now are asking for tanks from the Lord because we, we want to advance. We're ready to go forward. We're ready to overcome certain resistance and certain enemies. And he will give it to you. As you progress, as you go forward, he will supply what you need. Now look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. For if these qualities, all these things we work through, virtue and faith and love and self-control and those things, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Now notice, you don't just get them and now you've got them. They're growing. They're increasing in your life. They keep you from being ineffective 
and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have these qualities and they're growing, you become more effective, you become more fruitful in your relationship with Jesus. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what he was cleansed from, that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now the assumption is that by applying God's promises and drawing on his power and trusting him, we grow, we progress, and as we move forward, we become more effective, we become more fruitful, and we don't move backward to the life from which we have been saved. So a non-growing Christian, the one who lacks these qualities, they're not increasing in his life, is blind to his own sin, and is actually returning to the corruption of the world, is deteriorating, reverting back to his prior sins. Forgetting God's promises, ignoring God's grace. Now, there, there's a myth, there's a lie that many Christians believe that if I don't do anything, I will just stay as you are. That is not true. If you're not growing, you are reverting back to your old life. You are drifting, as Hebrews puts it. You're drifting away. The current against you is strong, and if you're not swimming, you will just naturally be pushed back. And so spiritual indifference sets in. Spiritual blindness sets in. You don't no longer recognize sin in your life. You've made your peace with sin. You no longer remember His promises. You no longer trust Him. You no longer notice or even care about things that He wants you to do. And so indifference sets in and apostasy is next. That's the pattern. So my question to you, and this is a very serious question, is are you growing? Are you making progress in your spiritual life? Now the next, the third promise is you will know you are going the right way. You will know you're going the right way. This promise is about assurance. As you grow, you will become more secure in your relationship with Christ you will become more sure of His love. You will become more confident that you belong to His family by grace. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Confirm your calling and election. Confirm means to make certain, to show that it's real. As you experience God's grace practically, as you're growing in these virtues, as you see sin weaken and holiness increase, as you see the Spirit battle your flesh and win, as you see the world lose its appeal, as you see the devil becoming less effective in temptation and you becoming more effective in resisting it, then it's natural to conclude that I really belong to God, that has really chosen me, that He has really called me into His kingdom and into His family. You see, that kind of practical holiness exposes the truth of your positional holiness in Christ. As you practically experience God's promises being true in your life and you're drawing on His resources and you're making progress and you're seeing these virtues appear and grow in your life, you're saying, well, yes, I must be right with God. Well, of course you are, by the righteousness of Christ. 
But now you see it being worked out, and that gives you assurance. Sanctification, this process of being more, being made more like God, more holy, points to the reality of your justification, being pronounced righteous because of Christ when you come to Him at conversion. Now, I became an American citizen about a year and a half ago. I have a passport. I have an American passport now. Thank you. I, I have, which means I can go on a cruise, I think, somewhere if I want to. I've run out of the excuses not to go on a cruise, so I think I, we're, we're going to go. Because I have the passport and I've been made officially a citizen of this country, I have all the rights and responsibilities of a citizen. It's all been settled, right? There's no question, there's no doubt about that. But then last November, I went to vote for the first time. And they let me, they let me vote. <laughs> because I'm a citizen, you see, I have a passport, I could, I could do that. I'm a registered voter. So I went, and when I went to vote, I researched the candidates, I made my decisions, I went to the polling place, I actually cast my vote. That confirmed my citizenship. Man, I felt like a citizen. I felt like I was, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is part of my responsibility. This is part of my privilege. It felt real. Now, it didn't change my status. I'm not a citizen because I voted. There's some citizens that don't vote, right? I'm not a citizen because I voted, but my voting confirmed that I am a citizen. So if you grow in these virtues that Peter is talking about and gradually become more and more like Christ, you will know that you belong among God's people. It will confirm your heavenly citizenship. It doesn't make you a citizen, but it confirms it. And so you become assured of it. Now, there's another part of this promise. The last half of verse 10 says, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I find this promise to be incredibly helpful and meaningful. Now, I don't know about you, but I worry about falling into sin and bringing shame to Christ's name and pushing, by my example, many people away from Him. I actually sometimes have nightmares about that. So I needed this promise. Maybe you do too. And the promise is that if I grow, if I pursue Christ, if I trust His promises and put them into practice, I will never fall. This is what it says. Now when I read it, I thought this, this is too simplistic. <laughs> this is too absolute. And my mind is trying to rationalize away God's promises. But this is what it says. God says that if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And then I thought, well, what about the pe people who fall? Like, what's the pattern there? And the pattern isn't, I'm growing and then I'm crashing. The pattern is, I've stopped growing. I'm reverting back to my old life. I'm pretending that I'm growing. I'm no longer seeking Christ. I have explained away my sin and rationalized it. I have cut myself off from accountability. That's how people fall. It doesn't happen suddenly as you meditate on Christ's excellencies. That is not how it happens. You may be tempted at that time, but you have the resources to resist it. And so I read this and I thought, this is a promise to me. If my eyes are on Christ, I cannot drown. 
If I keep following him, I will not fall. Now, not because of me, of course. And the reason I worry is because I know me. And by the way, I pray for some of you, some of you who are older, I pray for you that you will finish well. And pray for me and pray for others like that. I pray for pastors and other Christian leaders that are maybe at the end of their career and have a lot of influence. I pray for them that they will finish well because not everybody finishes well. But the way it happens is by staying connected to Christ and growing in these virtues and keeping your eyes on Him. And finally, and very briefly, here's the final promise. You will get where you are going. You will get where you are going. You've got all you need. As you grow, you will get more as you go. Uh, You will know who you are. You will know where you're going by pursuing spiritual growth. And finally, you will get where you are going. Verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this way, by pursuing these virtues, by growing, by knowing more of God, becoming more like Him, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The image is of a lavish welcome, a lavish welcome. Here's a quick illustration of that. My family, we've gone to Johnny and Friends family camps several times throughout our lives. These are camps that are specifically designed for families with children with special needs. Lots of helpers. There's lots of uh, appropriate activities, adapted activities for various disabilities. One thing they do is when you pull in and and you, you you park your car, somebody comes out to you and they ask you, would you like a loud welcome or a quiet welcome? Now, that is very considerate, you know, because not all kids enjoy a loud welcome. Uh, Some kids are overstimulated. We've been in the car for hours. It's not the best thing. But for some, it is the best thing. And even the quiet welcome, it's quiet in volume, but it's not quiet in emotion and affection. And so you you get out of the car, and and usually there are people there who will tell you, we'll take care of your stuff. You know, you just go into the, the main center where everybody, and everybody's waiting. All the volunteers, all the staff, they're waiting for you, and they make a way. There's just a path, right, in this crowd. And these families come, these weary families with children. It's, a, it's hard to be in the car with your kids. It's hard to be in the car with your kids with special needs. There's lots of things that come up along the way, and then finally they get there. And when they come... There's a rich welcome. There's a lavish welcome. I mean, it's, it's one of the you know, most affecting things you can experience. Because everybody's cheering loudly or sometimes very quietly. But everybody's cheering for you. And they're so excited that you're there. That you made it. That you are there. Your destination is there. This is the picture of us coming into the kingdom of our Lord. Saved by Him by His righteousness, and growing in the knowledge of Him, we will surely enter the eternal kingdom of Jesus. That's our destiny. And the way you know it is, is by growing, by changing, by experiencing that today, right now in your life, the power of God to change you and to make you more like Him.